When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact, baby! Hey everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. Our goal with this show and company is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you actually execute on your dreams. All right, today's guest is the best-selling author of Miracle Morning and one of the highest-rated keynote speakers in America. His book has sold more than 600,000 copies worldwide, has been translated into 27 languages, and his teachings are being practiced by more than 500,000 people daily in more than 70 countries. But all of that almost never happened. At the age of 20, he was involved in a catastrophic drunk driving accident that was so violent it ripped his car in half and actually took his life. His heart stopped beating for a full six minutes And over the next week, as he lay in a coma, he died two more times. After seven surgeries in just six days to repair the extensive damage he sustained, including 11 broken bones, he finally stabilized, but doctors warned that he may never walk again. But not only did he walk again, through sheer force of will, he ended up running a 52-mile ultra marathon and recovering fully. But just as everything in his life were finally humming along, he found himself near death once again. This time, it was a very rare, very aggressive form of cancer that took him from symptom-free to the verge of multiple organ failure in just days. He immediately began a brutal chemotherapy regimen and once again, through discipline of thought and action, saw his way through and back to health. But just surviving is not his mission. He wants to help others thrive as well. And his unique ability to teach the lessons he's learned are allowing him to do just that. So please, help me in welcoming the man whose book has over 2,000 five-star reviews on Amazon, the Hall of Fame business achiever, Hal Elrod. Good to see you, Tom. Yeah, you as well, dude. Very excited to sit down and talk. And what's crazy is even all the madness that I talked about in the intro, I didn't get to cover one of the crazier parts, which was what happened when the economy went bust in 2008. You lost like half of your income and had to fight your way back from that. Yeah. And I want to understand like the thing that really seems incredible about you is your ability to regulate your emotions, to get back on track, and to keep pushing forward. So what was that like in that moment? You said that you were depressed or close to depression. How did you restabilize? So I was 20 when I had the car accident. And a year and a half before that, I had started a career in direct sales. And I learned something in my training from my manager called the five-minute rule. And he said that when you're out there in the, in the field, you're going to have disappointment. You're going to have rejection. You're going to set a goal for the week. You're not going to hit it. You're going to hit it and then have the order cancel. Like He's like, you're going to deal with a lot of stuff. It's a microcosm for life. And he taught us what he calls the five-minute rule. He said, so when things go wrong, we have a rule. It's okay to be negative, but not for more than five minutes. Give yourself five minutes, set your timer on your phone. He would literally teach us, set the timer. You get five minutes to bitch, moan, complain, cry, vent, punch a wall, whatever. And after five minutes, you take a deep breath and say three really powerful words. Can't change it. And it's simply an acknowledgement that I can't change what's already happened. So there's no value in wishing it were different. 
And, and essentially I learned through reading Eckhart Tolle and things through years after that every negative emotion that we have is self-created by the degree of resistance that we have to our reality. Whether it's past reality, whether it's happening right now, or whether it's even a projected future reality that we're afraid of. And so in the span of five minutes, I woke up, I was told I would never walk again. You know, I had 11 broken bones, uh, permanent brain damage, and I went, well, can't change it. And the doctors thought I was delusional because I was so happy. I, and I, I told my dad, I said, dad, there's two possibilities. Number one, the doctors are right and I'll never walk again. And I said, and I've already I've imagined that possibility. Okay, I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life. I promised dad, because my parents were concerned, the doctors were concerned, I said, I promise I'll be the happiest person you've ever seen in a wheelchair. Because I'm in a wheelchair either way, I'm gonna be happy, I'll be grateful. Why be miserable just because that's my unchangeable circumstance? And I said, the possibility number two is I will walk again. And I don't even know if it's possible, but I do know that that's what I want. So I've accepted the worst case scenario. I'm at peace with it. And all of my energy is going into walking again. I think about it every day. I visualize it. I pray about it. I talk about it, imagine it. And a week later, the doctors came in with routine x-rays. And they said, we don't know how to explain this, but your body is healing so quickly. We're going to let you take your first step tomorrow. Wow. And that was three weeks after the accident. It went from like never walking again. And I'm thinking maybe like in a year, not in three weeks. And then I took my first step the next day. So I share that kind of backstory because every adversity that I've had since then, I'm able to leverage the lesson of, hey, if I can't change it, the only intelligent choice I have if I want to be happy is to accept it. 2008 was hard. It was actually harder for me to deal with than the car accident. And I think the reason is the car accident was the worst thing I'd imagine happening to me happen. And then it could only really get better from there. Like I was in the hospital, I woke up from a coma. It's like, okay, I'm going to heal over time, right? right? With the economy, when it crashed, it's like I lost a couple clients. It, I'm delusional, first of all, right? Like there's a fine line between optimism and delusion. You probably cross it too sometimes, <laughs> right? But I, but I would, people would be like, you know, you're really worried about the economy? I go, Psst, I create my own economy. I don't watch the news. I don't pay attention to it, right? And I guess, it was, you know, I'm losing client after client after client after client because they were affected by the economy and they couldn't pay me. And after I lost my first client, I went, oh man, can't change it. Five minute rule, all right? That's a bummer, man. I've never lost a client. And then within a matter of weeks, I lost, you know, or about a month, I lost half of my clients, half of my income, couldn't pay the mortgage. And so I got really scared and really depressed. Like the can't change it thing wasn't work because it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, like this downward spiral. So yeah, and that's, that's when I did some Google searching. I was just simply trying to figure out what are the world's most successful people doing that I'm not doing? And I kept coming across morning rituals and morning routines, but I went, not a morning person like what else do they do like where, where, where's the night owl like success plan right and um i finally saw one i don't remember the headline but it caught my attention and i went i gotta read this and i dove in and this was 2007 so morning like morning rituals now are everybody talks about them they're all over the place they weren't quite as prevalent and i realized that it was the one thing that most of the world's most successful people had in common and then i went okay i'm gonna wake up an hour earlier tomorrow and start a morning ritual then the question was, what am I going to do during that hour to really maximize it? I want it to be the ultimate morning ritual. So I ended up continuing down my Google searching and, and, and came up with six. It was meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and journaling. And I went, which of these is the one thing I should do? Which is the best? Which is going to change my life the fastest? And the epiphany happened when I went, what if I did all of these? What if I woke up tomorrow, I did the six most timeless scientifically proven personal development practices in the history of the world that 
you know, for centuries they've been working for people. And the next morning I woke up, even though I wasn't a morning person, did all six. And I went from being depressed and scared to like my mental and emotional, I was at a peak. I went, wow, if I start every day like this, it's only a matter of time. And it was less than two months that I doubled my income, decided to run that ultra marathon that you'd mentioned. Um, and it felt like a miracle. I told my wife, I said, sweetie, this is like a miracle. She's like, it's like your miracle morning. I go, yeah, it's my miracle morning. So I started writing my schedule as my miracle morning. It was never a book idea. And the light bulb went off that I went, well, if this is changing my life and I wasn't a morning person and it's changing all of my clients' lives and, and none of them were morning people, this could change the world. Like I have a responsibility to, to, to get this message out there. Oh man, it's such an extraordinary story. When you were telling that, you said something that really caught my attention and that's the, the duality of, I accept that I can't change it and there's something that I really, really want. So maybe I'm never gonna walk again and I, I can come to peace with that. But over here I'm thinking, I'm praying, I'm visualizing about getting up and walking. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that you've used that in other places in your life. How do you maintain that duality? How do you talk about that to other people? Because to me, um, I've always told people you have to be able to hold two conflicting ideas in your head. Like it is, and I, I've, I don't remember where I heard this, but that one of the hallmarks of real success is the ability to do that. Um, and hearing you talk about it when the stakes are as high as I may never walk again, um, was the first time I heard somebody that had that much on the line um, talk about that duality. Tell me a little bit more about that and, and how you manage that. Yeah, and it, you mentioned how do I talk about that or teach it, right? Like it, when I'm brought in, I'm brought in every keynote that I give is the miracle morning. It's always like a CEO that read the book and he's like, you gotta come teach our sales team or our staff or whatever, right? So that's why I'm brought in. For 10 years as a keynote speaker, I was telling my accident story and teaching this lesson of the power of accepting what you can't change and giving yourself the gift of emotional, what I call, I call it emotional invincibility, right? And it's where you're invincible from any emotions controlling you and you're in control of your emotions. And so um, I talked about how, we, yeah, what you said, the duality where the more we want something, usually the more disappointed we are when we don't get it, right? Or devastate, right? The more we want it, right? It's that spectrum of if you really are like, you want it more than anything in the world, then if you don't get it, you're devastated, you're suicidal, I mean, you're right? And so um, I think that for me, what, what a, it takes practice. Now we say this to the audience. They go, how many of you think this, this is really a powerful idea? It makes a lot of sense, but it's easier said than done. And everybody's hand goes up like, yeah, this is crazy, right? I like, yeah, I get it, but I don't, how, I can't do that. And it's because we're a, not addicted, but we're simply, we've programmed ourselves over our entire lives. The way we respond to adversity is the way we respond to adversity, right? So for example, traffic is usually a low level of adversity if you're running late and you leave late because you woke up late or kids were getting whatever it was, you hit traffic. What's the response normally? Frustration. I'm stressed, I'm frustrated, right? And we literally spend the entire drive, so let's say it's normally a 30 minute drive to work and it takes us 45 or whatever because of traffic. You live in LA, you, right? you know it better than anybody. Um, but we spend that entire 45 minutes literally killing ourselves, right? Being that we're, we're stressed out, we're tense, we're frustrated, we're riding the car in front of us. Like, does that work? Does that, that doesn't move them, right? You know? And I realized that, so people think, well, I'm upset because of this thing. We always have something to point to. Of course I'm angry, look at what she did. Of course I'm sad, look at what I lost. Of course I'm frustrated, I need to be at work in a half an hour and this is gonna take me 45 minutes, right? We think it's the thing. We always point at the thing. And when I realized it's, it's, it's never the thing, 
It's our resistance to the thing. So when I, I, I was like anybody, I hit it traffic and I'd be frustrated or upset or you know, mad at myself that I left late or mad at the person that made me late or whatever. And then I went, wait a minute. I actually used to have these wristbands that said can't change it that uh, I used to give out to high school students after my speeches. And I'd be driving and I would go, I'd see my wristband and I'd go, oh yeah, wait, this applies, I can't change traffic. I would take a deep breath and I would just go, I'm going to enjoy the ride. Like I'm going, and I would turn the radio on and enjoy. And so all of a sudden traffic had zero control over my emotional state. And so whether it's traffic or it's being in a horrific car accident, we are completely in control of our emotional state. And the, the, the key that unlocks the door to emotional invincibility, if you will, is acceptance. It's accepting it. And so let me, let me, wrap this up answering your question of how do you get there for me it was logic I went okay I can't change that I was in a car accident it's kind of like what I said with the wheelchair thing right so if I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life I can either be miserable in a wheelchair and and blame the wheelchair and the, the drunk driver and the car accident and all that for, that's why I'm miserable right that the victim mentality I thought that that's no quality of life and so I think for any of us we go well yeah I don't want to be stressed out in traffic so virtually the only choice we have if we don't want to be stressed out or, or depressed or, you know, and I'm not talking clinical depression, that's a different state, but, um, right, is to accept our circumstances unconditionally. That's where I call it emotional invincibility. That's where when you get to that point of where you've accepted everything that's ever going to happen to you and you've made peace with it before it even happens. So when it happens, you're like, oh, okay, this sucks. Worst thing that I could ever imagine, but I can't change it. So I'm not going to, like, problems are difficult enough to, to move through and overcome, why add emotional turmoil to those problems? It doesn't help you get through the problem. In fact, it simply makes it harder. It takes longer or it prevents you from solving the problem altogether because you're so emotionally engaged in it. You, you can't see you know, the sunshine through the clouds. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And I think having that emotional resilience is, is life-changing. Now, you said something that I think is really powerful, and that is when you're dealing with people that really want something, it's the thing they want most in life, or they're about to lose something, and it's the thing that they're most terrified about losing. What do you say about still allowing yourself to want something, believe in it, even though the more you invest in getting it, the more you think about it, People can feel like the farther I'm going to fall, like the more people I tell I'm doing this, the more people I potentially embarrass myself in front of when it doesn't happen. How do you help them deal with that potential fear of embarrassment or failure or just outright disappointment? I think that if you, like if you go to the age old adage, everything happens for a reason. Um, I believe that's true, but not the way that we've been taught or conditioned to think, right? Usually most people, that's used in a circumstance where something terrible happens, right? You lose something or right away, everything happens for a reason. It's going to be okay. You know, you're like, screw you and your reason. Um, so to me, it's it, like, because people think it's predetermined, right? Or they look up to the heavens and they're like, why? Why did this? What did I do to deserve this, right? Like they're searching for a reason outside of themselves. And it's really just perpetuating the victim mindset versus I believe that everything happens for a reason, but it's 100% our responsibility to choose the reason. And so I think that if you can go into any endeavor pursuing it, knowing that if I fail at this, and, 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 and on a side note, you know, the book Failing Forward by John Maxwell, I don't know if you've read that, right? But that was a huge game changer for me where I went, you know, almost every successful person failed at something that they really worked hard for, they were striving for, they might have committed their entire life to, and then they failed, and then they learned and grew from it if they, if they chose to do so. 
and then they achieve something even better, right? You know, every relationship that ends creates a space for a new relationship, right? Every venture that comes to a you know, screeching halt creates space for a new venture. So, so I'm not saying that it's easy and you might need the five minute rule or and if you need five days to like, you know, I, and, and by the way, I don't think negative emotions, like call them negative, I don't think they're negative, meaning there's value in all emotions. You know, if, if I were to lose a loved one, I would grieve and I think it's healthy to grieve, right? If a man accosted my wife, I'd probably pull anger out of my pocket and right, get a little, right, you know what I mean? So, so there's definitely value, I believe, in all emotions, but the difference is, is whether the emotions are controlling the person, right? Because they, they, they think, they don't understand, they think it's the thing that's causing the anger and because of the thing that's out of their control, the anger's out of their control. Right, so I think that once you take full responsibility for your emotional state, no matter what's going on around you, it's always about what's going on inside of you. Yeah, I really like what you said about things like that, one, being a choice, and two, that you're creating space rather than that, oh, the ending of a relationship means that you're gonna have another relationship, which is not always the case, but it does create the space for you now to act in accordance with what you want, to get something new and different. But then what you were saying about looking outside yourself, looking to the heavens, why did this happen to me? It's a pretty strong impulse. And I have to say, in hearing your story, I was like, I might have thrown up a, why is this happening to me when you got diagnosed with cancer? It'd be one thing if you lived like a, you know, if you're doing a bunch of drugs, you're smoking, uh, eating terribly, but you weren't. You had, if I remember right, read a book about how to eat for anti-cancer yeah. uh, benefits and had been doing that for years when you were diagnosed with cancer. Why didn't you say, why is this happening to me? I mean, I definitely said that, but with a smile on my face. I was like, God, what in the heck am I supposed to learn? Like, I already died. I had like, <laughs> I had my big life-altering thing. What could I possibly learn from another one? Um, and a lot, you know, uh, ended up being the, the thing. But I will tell you this. There, yeah, there was no emotional pain. In fact, so I was diagnosed. Because you had accepted life before it happened. Is that what you Exactly, about? yes. Um, and, uh, and, now, and, and to be fair, like in, I have a new book coming out and I talk about this a lot. There's a little chapter called Emotional Mentability. And I talk about this and I say, look, I had an unfair advantage in that I had, like for a major, the, the cancer thing, where because I was able to look back and go, the car accident was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, because of who I became by overcoming it, right? By, by moving through it with a positive attitude and all of that. Um, and also it became my life's work. Talk to me about fear. Like it, I, I have a, um, from an emotional standpoint, I'm, I will put myself in the almost emotionally invulnerable, invincible, <laughs> yeah, position. Like I, I've spent an inordinate amount of time on that. Yeah. But I would have to process through some real fear, even if it was just, okay, now what happens to my wife? What happens to my family? So how did you deal with that? Um, here's an important piece of this is when it comes to accepting all things that you can't change, death is one of those things. So I made peace with death a long time ago. And, and I think that death is a big fear for all of us. And to me, it, I've gotten to the point where I realize it doesn't even make sense for that to be a fear. For, for anything that's inevitable or that you can't change, Right, that there's no point in, in, in resisting it and wishing it weren't gonna happen. And, and the way that I look at death is, it's the other side of birth. And we don't fear birth, right? But birth and death are both just as inevitable and they're two sides of the same coin that is life, right? But I, oh man, I, it's, that's the one thing I've heard you say where I was like, uh, 
And, and I'll say why. Birth gives, death takes. Or such is my perception right now. And maybe you're about to give me a breakthrough and I'm so <laughs> fucking open to that you can't imagine. Yeah. But like the, the thing that, that I really want to understand like how you've dealt with it internally is that, that um, what, and maybe I'm packaging it wrong when I say it out loud, but that sense of I want something so badly and thusly I am terrified to lose it. And the, the wanting is so powerful and so important and so beautiful that I know I don't want to give that up, but yet it creates the fear. It, it is the, I mean, like the old Buddhist notion of life is suffering because you want things, because you want things and you may not get them, because you want things, you may lose them. Like the love for a child, I imagine, I'm not a parent, I imagine is transformatively profound, but it fucking sucks you in, dude. And it gets you to the point where now, like right now, I'm not afraid to die except for my wife. Legitimately, for myself, eh, whatever. Like, I, I won't say that I'm not bothered, but it's like not a grand fear of mine. Even though I talk a lot about living forever, that's me moving towards something, not away from, I don't, I'm not moving away from death. I'm moving yeah. towards the things I would be able to do if I could live forever. But dude, the thought of having kids or the thought of leaving my wife behind, that shit makes me emotional. Yeah. And so I really want to know, like, how did you process through that? Because in there somewhere is, is a breakthrough for me if nobody else. Yeah. So that was the hardest thing. Like I said, because I've made peace with death, I was imagining my wife and my kids losing me. Um, especially my kids. Like the, the, the most important thing in my world, in my life, is that I can influence my children in a positive way to set them up for a great life, right? Um, and so the, the, that I might not have that opportunity was the, the hardest thing to deal with. I think that part of it is I didn't spend a lot of time on thinking about that, right? So that's the thing is people that have a lot of fear, you're thinking about the things that you're afraid of, right? You don't have the fear of, and if you're not thinking, right? If you're not thinking about the thing you're afraid of, but as soon as you're thinking about it, you're, the fear comes up. So for me, um, I use affirmations a lot too. That's one of the miracle morning practices is affirmations. And affirmations I think have a kind of a bad rap, you know, like Stuart Smalley, you know, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough and people like me. And then they're taught by like a lot of self-help pioneers is like lie to yourself. If you wanna be a millionaire, just say, I am a millionaire over and over and over until you believe it, right? But we're, if we know the truth, you're like, I am a millionaire. You know, your brain's like, dude, no, you're not, right? You're like, shut up, I'm doing my affirmations, right? Like, so anyway, the point is, the way that I view affirmations is they simply direct your focus on wherever you want your focus directed. So you can literally, like a computer program, you can go, okay, what are the beliefs that I want to focus on so they expand inside of me? Even the thoughts that I want to focus on. What are my values? What are the behaviors that I need to embody, right? So, so you read these affirmations every day and you're programming yourself to live in alignment with that program that you've designed, right? So I had these, my anti-cancer affirmations, which I still have, um, I, I use those to manage my mindset, right? So if I have a fear, I will look at what's the opposite of the fear, what's possible? So I could die, yes. Does focusing on that I might die and dwelling on that, and, right? And thinking about that and going down that rabbit hole. And most people live, they live with their fear. That's where their focus is. So they're consumed by fear, right? For me, I go, oh yeah, this could happen. And that's, what, that's not what I want to happen. So I'm gonna accept it, make peace with it, and then I'm gonna put all of my energy into what I want. And affirmations to me are the best way to do that because if we, if we, if we 
leave our brain up to whatever it's up to? Dude, it's like, you know, it's, it's like a pinball bouncing around. It's like negative thought, negative thought, negative thought, positive thought, negative thought, negative, right? And so we can't trust our brain, you know, until we've conditioned it, right? But so if someone's consumed with fear, right, utilizing affirmations every day that you combat the fear. Give me the okay. examples of your anti-cancer affirmations. I think there's statistically, sadly, a lot of people watching this that are battling cancer right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and it might be particularly useful. I, before I, I share that, I want to say, because for people battling cancer, I want to share what I did um, that's different than most. So I'm, I, like you said, I had watched a documentary called Healing Cancer from the Inside Out, like, I don't know, five or 10 years before I got cancer, and I'd lived an anti-cancer lifestyle. So yeah, I was like, how am I getting cancer? I eat like a plant-based diet, I, you know, I, I don't understand. So I went to my, my oncologist when I was diagnosed, and, and my, my, yeah, my, my lung was collapsed, my kidneys were failing, and my heart was on the verge of failing mm. when I went to my oncologist. And that was like what happened from healthy to a week or two later. And I said, hey, I, I'm not big on chemo. It, I view it as, you know, it's poison, it's very toxic. I would like to, you know, heal my cancer holistically. And I've been doing a lot of research on that. Can you support me in that? And he said, Hal, I appreciate that you want to do that. But he said, you're, uh, you don't have a cancer that you don't have that luxury. You've got about a week to live if you don't start chemo. Maybe, maybe a few days. He said, look, a week ago you were healthy. Now your heart, lung, and kidney is all on the verge of failing. He said, this is one of the most aggressive, fast-acting cancers and you, you literally have a few days, maybe a week. And I thought it was a scare tactic, right? I was like, you know, like in my head, like kind of middle finger, like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm, let, let me, I said, give me 24 hours, let me go home and I'll find out the truth I'll, I'll, from Google. And <laughs> so I, I consulted Dr. Google, right? And basically found out that, oh, he wasn't exaggerating. So I found out that was true. So I, I basically almost, you know, against my will, like everything, my, my values, my, beliefs, I, I, I had to go get chemo. It's the most intensive chemotherapy regimen, uh, to my knowledge, in, in, that there is. And so that even made it harder. And it's a 20 to 30% survival rate. So I go, so, you, so you're going to put this poison in me, and I have a 20 to 30% chance of surviving, and the side effects on one of the chemos in particular, so I had acute lymphoblastic leukemia. The side effect was may cause leukemia. And so what I ended up doing uh, because I felt like my hand was kind of, you know, arm was forced. I had to do the chemo. So here's what I did, though. And I think this is what not only saved my life. I mean, in the chemo, I believe definitely saved my life. But my symptoms, and it was, it was, I went, it was hard. But I had less, I had a, an easier time than a lot of people that were getting one hour of chemo a month when I was getting, you know, 70 or 80 or 100, whatever it was. And is what I did is I did everything holistically that I would do if I weren't doing chemotherapy. So, and, and I didn't, you know, and I had never found anyone that really had done that. It was usually either or. Um, but so I did coffee enemas, right? There's nothing, no effort more extraordinary than, you know, sticking a tube in your butt. Um, I, I took like 70 supplements a day. I did, you know, my diet was, it was already on point. So I just kind of, you know, kept added juicing and some other things. Um, I did ozone saunas. I did acupuncture. I mean, you name it, right? I did everything I could and I combined the two. And like when I asked my oncologist, hey, chemo is really toxic to your liver and some people get a lot of disease from that. What should I do to, to detox? And he'd be like, ah, we, you know, we give you a saline flush, it's fine, right? So, so they, the, the medical community, right, they're not, they don't learn anything except what's in the textbook that they go to school for. And so um, 
So for me, I did every, you know, I Googled how to detox your liver, right? So I was taking milk thistle to detox my liver and the coffee enemas to detox my liver and, you know, and all of these things. So I just wanted to share that because like you said, people watching might have cancer or know someone that does. Anyway, so sorry I got no, man, far down the rabbit hole. Really, really interesting. And another thing along those lines that um, I want to talk about is you said that obviously you kept your mindset the way that you've always kept your mindset. You're very positive. You knew what you wanted. You had affirmations, but you said those work when you're not like just doubled over in agony. But in the days you're doubled over in agony, it, it basically knocks you for six. How did you deal with those days? How did you bounce back, rebuild your mindset? So here's what's interesting is when we, I experience negative emotions, right? And the difference is what do you do with that emotion, right? So the emotion isn't the problem. It's what do you do with it? And so what, one thing that I've learned, and it's really powerful, and I didn't, I, I learned this probably just in the last few years. In fact, maybe it was a cancer lesson, I don't know. But um, it was that when I have a negative emotion, you know, you wake up and you feel depressed. I'm like, what? Well, like, I feel just horrible. I feel, I have no confidence today. Like, and I don't know why, right? Like, hormones or something's going on, right? And what I realized is that it's not that emotional state that's the biggest problem for most people, myself included. It's what we do with that state and we usually judge it and we get, we get afraid. That, why, why do I feel this way? And, and, and the problem is human beings, we're not good at, at, at spa, like creating, understanding, um, like what's the word, spatial awareness in terms of time. We think the way we feel is just how life is, right? Like we, it's this all encompassing like, oh my God, this, why do I, this is how I'm gonna feel the rest of my life. Like we don't understand that. No, this is temporary. It might last a day, it might last five minutes, it might last, like, don't make a big deal out of it, right? That's the, that's the most simple way I could put it. Don't make a big deal out of it. So when I had negative emotions with cancer, I just didn't make a big deal out of it. I go, this is temporary. So when you feel in a negative state, simply just remind yourself it's temporary and even just smile and go, man, this sucks. <laughs> Hopefully it's not too long that I feel like this because I don't enjoy it. But don't, don't give it a lot of importance. Don't give that, that temporary emotional state a significant amount of significance, right? Just go, this is temporary, I accept it, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, so I mean, there were a lot of hard days and there were days where, um, you know, my, I mean, I had this infection where my entire face swole up like the elephant man, my eye was completely shut, I had horrific migraines. Um, you know, when you're in physical pain, you know, I mean, I'm like anybody, I, I, I wasn't super positive, I was like, but, but, but I was as positive as like, it's always be as positive as you could possibly be, even when you're going through the most difficult time in your life. And that was the thing with cancer, with the car accident, and that's the lesson for everybody is that we can choose to be, consciously choose to be. First you accept what you can't change, and then you go, what emotion would best serve me? And I think more often than not, it's gratitude and happiness for the most part, or optimism, you know, as an emotion. But we can be the happiest and the most grateful we've ever been while we are going through the most difficult, painful, scary time in our lives. And, it's, and it doesn't, and, and here's the thing, it just makes it that much easier. It doesn't mean that it doesn't suck but it means that you're not letting the fact that it sucks completely control your emotional well-being. You're going, this sucks, I, you know, but I'm gonna make the best of it. How do you talk to your kids about this, man? Because how old are they? Uh, my, right now, they just turned nine and six, so when I got cancer, that was, we just had my two-year anniversary of being diagnosed about a month ago, so they were four and seven. And how do you talk to them about that? How do you try to give them mindset around what you went through, how to think about it for themselves? My daughter, 
her, she went right when we told them I had cancer. And the way that we you know, told them is, hey, I have, I have cancer. Um, and uh, some people die from cancer. But I'm going to do a lot of things that those people don't do. Right? You have to explain it in a way that a child will understand. You know? um, and I said, I'm gonna, I'm, I actually have a plan. I'm going to do a, a lot of things that most people don't even know about that are going to make it so that I'm going to beat the cancer like I have no doubt in my mind. And, uh, and they're like, oh, okay. And then my daughter goes to school like the next day. And she says, my dad has cancer. You know, she's telling people, her classmates. And her friend goes, oh, my, my uh, grandpa died from cancer. You know, and so she's like, oh my God, right? So, uh, so yeah, but that was, that was the whole thing was ma- kind of just maintaining my mindset, which is, so I have this thing called the miracle equation. I, I, I came up with it when I was 20, when I was in sales. And it was to break a record that I had a very limited amount of time and it felt like doing it would be a miracle. It was like pre-miracle morning. It's just a coincidence that, I guess I like the word miracle, I don't know, but it's just a coincidence that there's even a correlation. Um, uh, but it is my new, it's the book that's going to come out next year, so I've been working on it. Um, but here's the miracle equation, and it's, it's how you create miracles, which, and when I say miracle, right, I don't mean party in the Red Sea right. or biblical <laughs> miracles, but I mean extraordinary results that are beyond what you even believe is possible, right? Um, it's really simple, two components, unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. And if you, if, you, if, you, if you break down any person in history, yourself included, that has accomplished extraordinary results beyond what they, maybe as children or at whatever point in their lives, even imagine possible, right? I'm sure you, with, you know, quests and stuff you've done, you, you're, you're like, I can't believe this is, like, I do, how did I, how, I, you know, I can't believe this happened, right? But every single person, they, those were the two common denominators. They established faith that they could accomplish something that they had never accomplished, they had no evidence in their past that they were even capable of it, right? So they, but they just went out on a, that's why it's faith, right? It's out on a limb, like, I can do this. I don't know how, but I can do this, right? I'm, I'm, go, I'm committed, I'm going to do it. And then the faith, the unwavering piece is that most people, even if they like start out that way, as soon as they hit an obstacle, a failure as we talked about, right? The faith wavers, they're like, oh, uh, never mind. I guess I, uh, I thought I could do this, but apparently not, right? So the faith goes out the window. The second piece, extraordinary effort. Most people, as soon as the faith goes out the window, the effort follows right behind it because it's like, well, what's the point of even trying if I don't really believe I can do it? But every person that's, had a, that's created extraordinary results, that's changed the world, that's become you know, financially free, whatever the result is, they, they established faith that they could do it. The faith was unwavering and they put forth extraordinary effort until... And the operative word, underline the word, circle the word until, until they got there. We're programmed in the past, and we need something in writing to program us based on what we want for our future. Yeah, that's pretty extraordinary, man. What do you think is like the key trait that you have that has allowed you to be successful, to build this mindset? Like, what's that foundation? Because I know a lot of people... um, They love what you're saying, dude. They're in. Like, they buy into it, but like... There's, it's like they can see the ladder, but they can't reach the bottom rung. Like, yeah. what's that like foundational trait that you cultivated in yourself? Is it optimism? Is it something that simple? Or I'm glad you asked the question because, like, I, I view myself as a lazy person. I view myself like I have so many insecurities. I, I don't view myself, and I'm like really using affirmations to keep trying to see myself as different. In fact, the other night I had this epiphany. Actually, it was last night. It was last night in the hotel, getting ready for this. I had the epiphany that I go, 
and I wrote, and anytime I have an epiphany, it goes into like this, this affirmation app that I use, right? So that I can, again, can't have a thought and go, oh, it's a great <laughs> idea, and then fall asleep and forget it, you know? So my epiphany was, I still view myself as this 20-something-year-old kid who was trying to make it, who wanted people to accept me, who, who was trying to, who really loved all people, but felt like I didn't know how to get that across, so people like thought I was a, you know, punk 20-year-old kid or whatever, right? So, I, so, so the point is, right, like I still deal with all sorts of insecurities and, you know, so I, I just want, because I meet, like I saw is it David Goggins, yeah. right? I was watching his interview, you know, and I'm like, this guy's from a different planet. Like, <laughs> I don't have anywhere close to his discipline or will, you know? Um, so part of it is I've been put in circumstances that I, that I have, you know, it was either like, right, fight or flight, you know, what am I going to do? Um, I've had great mentors that have taught, like the five-minute rule and, and the power of acceptance. That was taught to me when I was 20. Um, my parents, they lost. My sister died when I was seven, or I was eight, and she was a year and a half. And my, just my mom and my sister at home and me. And my mom was breastfeeding my baby sister, Amory. And um, she, uh, all of a sudden, I was across the hall sleeping. And my dad was at work. My sister was out of town. And I heard my mom screaming, my baby, my baby. And I'm kind of like coming to, and I thought she was playing with her, like, oh, my baby, my baby. Right. And all of a sudden, like, I get clear that like the, the horror in my mom's voice, and I run across the hall into her bedroom, and Amory's dead in her arms. Whoa. She had heart failure. And uh, she was born with a really rare condition. Um, my parents, uh, within, a, within a matter of, it was less than a year, my mother, devastated, but she, she founded a support group for parents that had lost children, like under the age of five or something, right? So she led that for years. They started a fundraiser to raise money for the hospital that, that cared for Amory while she was alive. And um, so I really, I didn't even know it then, but I learned, right, I think it was planted in me that you take adversity, right, and you, you find the advantage or you turn it into an advantage, right? Tragedy into triumph. I mean, um, so I think it's just the conscious choice to, to take, to, to, and optimism is probably, yeah, I mean, that might, might be the simple way to put it. Um, optimism, and, and then I will throw one other quality in there, which was a chosen, learned quality, which is what really led to the Miracle Morning. The day I came with the Miracle Morning, and it wasn't called that, but I heard a quote from Jim Rohn, and Jim Rohn said, your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development, because success is something you attract by the person you become. And in that moment, I went, dude, I'm not dedicating time every day in my personal development. I'm in survival mode. I just go into my office. I just like work all day and really not productive. I just spin the wheels, you know, and, and I'm, in, I'm in fear mode. I'm in scarcity mode, right? And then I do that until I'm exhausted and I go to bed. That's my daily routine. And for a lot of people, I think that's it. You wake up, you deal with life, and then you go to bed, right? And I went, therefore, because I'm not dedicating time every day in my personal development, I'm not becoming the person that I need to be that has the knowledge and the beliefs and the energy and the qualities, the characteristics, the skills, the talent, the, right? To create the results, the success I want in my life. And that's when I went, I've got to create the most extraordinary personal development ritual in the history of humanity and I got to start doing it. And, um, and that's how the Miracle Morning was born. So the point is this, I believe that that is one of, if not the most fundamental key to success is that quote, that philosophy from Jim Rohn. And, and here's the way that I equate it in my head. If we're measuring success on a scale of one to 10, in any area of life, I don't just mean, you know, usually success we think like 
professional success. I'm talking about your level of success in your relationships as a parent, your level of physical energy, your level of success, you know, in terms of your emotional invincibility rate. On a scale of one to 10, what level do we want? 10. 10, right? Nobody's like, I don't want to be too happy. I don't want to be annoying happy. Like, I'll just, I'll do a six. Like, I don't want too much money. I don't want family coming out and asking. No, no, we all want, like, that's one thing we share in common as humans is we aspire. Like, we actually all have it in us. We all want to fulfill our potential. And sadly, most people don't. And I believe that it's because it's, for me, I went, okay, I want level 10 success in every area of my life. But it, like Jim Rohn is saying, my level of personal development is like at a two, like maybe a three on a good day right now, right? And this is the disconnect. This is what we want in our lives. This is who we are. And that's not a judgment. It's just right in terms of our level of personal development. And then I, my epiphany was, if I dedicate time every day to personal development, I will gradually become a level three and then a level four and then a level seven. Eventually, if I become a level 10 person in terms of my beliefs and my knowledge and my habits and my skills, I can only help but attract and create and sustain level 10 success in my life. So it's a result of who we become, right? And so I think that is, you know, optimism combined with a relentless dedication, and I know you have it too, and, and almost any successful person on the planet does, right, to personal development. And it's that idea that if I want to create an extraordinary life, I have to become a level 10 life. I got to become a level 10 person. I love that. Awesome. Before I ask my last question, tell these guys where they can find you online. Uh, HalElrod.com or MiracleMorning.com. So. That is awesome. Uh, my final question is, what is the impact that you want to have on the world? Yeah, of course, a beautiful question. And uh, it feels good to have clarity on that. And it changes too, by the way. I always tell people that. So my uh, mission in life is to elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time, one person at a time. And I had a, uh, it was probably, probably a year ago. We were talking, somebody asked me this question. We were talking about it, a friend. And I, I, uh, I had a, like a realization. I go, this is kind of grandiose to say this, but the miracle morning literally could lead to world peace. Wow. And the reason I say that, like right now we're working on doing a program in schools where across all grades from preschool to college, where teachers start every day with the miracle morning with their students, right? So they lead them through a, it's a six minute version of one minute of affirmations, one minute of meditation, one minute of exercise, one minute of reading, right? Journaling all the way through. And um, my thought, like imagine if every student in the world started their day with meditation, at, with, with those practices, like it could end bullying. How are you going to beat up the kid that just, you just, you know, you just meditated with and you heard his dreams and his ambitions and his affirmations and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, so I, I'm seeing it in the community uh, and around the world that, to, to, that, it, that really as it elevates the consciousness of each person each morning, there's a ripple effect that expands out to their world, their families, their communities, CEOs are better leaders for their employees, so on and so forth. So um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the mission that I'm, I'm working on. Damn good mission. Appreciate awesome. It. Hal, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. That was really extraordinary. All right, guys, there are a few people in this world who get to show what their leadership is really about because they've been tested. And I think after hearing his story, I think it's very fair to say that he's been tested not once, twice, but three times and built that mindset by going through those things and really seeing in the trenches what works, 
what helped, and then bringing that back. I was telling him before we started rolling, the thing that I find so extraordinary about him is in the classic hero's journey, the ending of the story is always the person bringing the lesson back to everybody else and teaching. And that's how I see him. I see him as somebody who is living the hero's journey and really engaging in that final most amazing piece which is to share the things that he's learned and I think as you engage with him, engage with this content, read the book, you're going to see that. You're going to see the profound way in which he's able to really explain things and make it accessible to everybody else so that we can use this stuff in our own lives. Uh, I think that what he says is just extraordinarily powerful and it works and it's the kind of thing that I've seen countless people in my circle that have achieved um, just amazing things in their lives. They're all using the elements that he's talking about. So like he says, this really is tried and true stuff that a lot of people are putting to use. Uh, his own community, 500,000 people every day wake up and do the miracle morning routine. So check it out. It is something that could be really profound in your life. The affirmations, a lot of this stuff, I just think is unbelievably powerful. So give it a shot. I'd love to hear how it's working for you. I think it's going to serve you well. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.